Most companies based in Charleston, South Carolina don't have their own Wikipedia page. Blackbaud, however, the Daniel Island headquartered, social enterprise-focused, cloud computing colossus, isn't most companies. The 40-year-old technology solutions firm's journey from humble beginnings in New York City with a handful of administrators and systems analysts to a global leader in the fundraising CRM space, backed by a team of over 3,000 employees, has been chronicled in major news outlets, international trade journals, and small circles of experts. Forbes has called their leadership some of the most innovative in the country. AnitaB.org named Blackbot a top company for women technologists, and Fast Company has identified the firm as one of the best workplaces for innovators. The company's reach is far, but its roots are strong. They've teamed up with international powerhouses like Facebook, as well as smaller operations a little closer to home, like the South Carolina Aquarium, just a few minutes drive from our offices at Lowcountry Local First headquarters. Blackbot has supported LLF's efforts to strengthen our local business community every step of the way, from sponsoring our annual Good Business Summit to partnering with us on educational workshops and webinars. Today I sit down with Rachel Hutchison, who has been with Blackbot for 29 years and who leads global corporate social responsibility and sustainability at Blackbot. In order to get to the heart of the company's mission and to better understand how a technological giant like Blackbot ends up in a city that's barely 160th the size of New York City and whose information sector's GDP is literally 110,000th the size of San Francisco's. Blackbot is a publicly traded for-profit company, but it exclusively serves social good enterprises. Think nonprofits, community foundations, and philanthropic individuals. By the end of our chat, I came away with a deeper appreciation for the tireless work that Rachel does as the Vice President of Global Social Responsibility to make sure that all of Blackbot's thousands of employees, based both here in the Low Country and abroad, are given meaningful, unique, and impactful opportunities to not just contribute to a compassionate company, but to improve the world around them in large and small ways, or as Rachel puts it, to become a part of the ecosystem for good. This is Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve, and I'm your host, Steve Fletcher, Development Manager at Low Country Local First. Here's today's interview with Rachel Hutchison of Blackbod, a Low Country Local First partner and a huge supporter of our local independent business community. Rachel, would you mind sharing with everyone uh, your name, your role at Blackbot, how long you've been there, and uh, a little bit about Blackbot and kind of what you, what you like about the organization? Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to talk with people across the low country uh, and beyond. So I am Rachel Hutchison, and I lead global CSR and sustainability at Blackbot. And, and I always struggle with what are the right words to describe what I do, because I've been with the company for 29 years, um, from when we had about 100 people. I joined the company when the founder, Tony Bacher, was leading it. And we have grown and evolved over time and really stayed true to, at the heart um, of who we are from the very beginning, but evolved how we do things and what we do over that period. So um, I lead everything from our giving and volunteering as a company, how we help our people give back, um, our women's leadership work. Um, we have government relations in this area. We have ESG and sustainability reporting in this area. Um, and so a lot of work that's both about how the company gives and our employees give and then how we engage in an active as an active participant in what we call the ecosystem of good. So um, that's kind of the it's a big array, but it's a small team of, of people who really um, work across the company to make sure that we're always engaged in social good. And tell me about the ecosystem of good. Is that something that y'all came up with? Is that a term that you've created? What does it mean to you and how did that term come to be? Because Blackbot, for those of you who don't know, is, um, and there probably are only very few of you because Blackbot is pretty ubiquitous, um, is, is an incredible organization here in, uh, in the region. But there are a number of employees, I want to say over 3,000. Is that right, Rachel? That's right. So yep. how big is the ecosystem of good? Are you talking about just the employees? Are you talking about clients, partners? 
partners, a combination of the three, some other group I haven't thought of, and, and what is the good that we're talking about? Yeah, Steve, that's a really good question. So the ecosystem of, of good is a term that, that we coined, the, a phrase that we use to help describe what we do and who we power. So BlackBot is a technology company. We provide services, cloud-based technology, data, insights, expertise, to social good organizations. So that's nonprofits, you know, doing fundraising and managing their operations. That's grant-making foundations. That's companies that um, are helping their people give back through matching gift programs, volunteerism, et cetera, and individual people who are going out and doing wonderful things like Captain Tom, the 100-year-old in the UK who walked his, his garden 100 lengths to raise money for NHS charities. He used our technology to power his fundraising campaign, which oh, wow. raised something like 40 million pounds sterling in a short period of wow. time. So the ecosystem of good is a term we initially used to describe that broad array of organizations that are all trying to power social good in their own way for their varieties of missions. But to me, the ecosystem of good is about anyone, any person, any individual any organization, community that is really engaged in um, doing good in the world. So we power the ecosystem of good through our technology, but my job is about helping make sure that the company shows up as an active participant in that ecosystem um, through what we do, through how we give back, through how we treat our people, through um, how we're kind to the environment, all of that. So um, and ideally, it gets bigger and bigger every year. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, I I didn't know that the 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 Tom story. Um, I uh, but but yeah, I I, I want to learn more about it. And it's phenomenal that he was using kind of your resources at Blackbaud. It sounds like Blackbaud's clients and partners and customers are range in size from, you know, or at least the folks who would consider themselves part of BlackBot's ecosystem of good are as small as a solopreneur or an individual and as large as another, you know, multi-thousand individual institution or company. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. And so the Captain Tom story is actually a story that came out of the UK and in the United Kingdom, we've operated there since the 1980s, selling our more traditional fundraising technology. But we made an acquisition a number of years ago of a, a firm called Just Giving. And Just Giving is a you know individual crowd fundraising, crowdfunding solution. So you can jump on the site and say, this is the charity I want to raise money for. And you put up pictures and a challenge, et cetera. And just giving is what Captain Tom um, and his family used. It's very, very popular in the UK. Um, you see it in the US, but it's not. It's they use it a lot more in the in the UK when people are moved by a, a cause or a happening to raise money. Um, so we have individuals. We have people doing very small campaigns um, using Just Giving or very big ones like Captain Tom. And then on the nonprofit side, we have tiny, you know, small organizations that have enough infrastructure to warrant having a database. And then we have very large ones like Save the Children. Um, on the corporate side, you know, we have, you know, PwC is a customer, but in the, they're using the technology with all of their employees. So through their employee internet, you can access the solution to um, sign up for a volunteer event, to give to a campaign, to get your matching gift, do all that. So there are lots of different types and sizes of organizations. And so we do have an array of solutions to address these different needs. Nonprofits are not all alike. Uh, social good organizations are not all alike. So even within that nonprofit category, you have higher education institutions and you have healthcare and you have K-12 and you have arts and culture. And even within arts and culture, you have groups that need um, front gate ticketing and groups that need reserved seat ticketing, like their needs are all very different. And that's really what we specialize in understanding the needs of social good organizations. Hmm. Speaking of social good organizations and nonprofits, um, both of whom make up presumably a majority of your clientele, the question that has to be asked is when talking about a, a an organization like BlackBod that supports and sells products and services to these organizations, 
The question that has to be asked, I'd imagine you've had it asked time and again in, in various interviews over the last number of months, is what sorts of obstacles, opportunities have arisen over the course of the last 13, 14 months, wherein the world has been flipped up side down. COVID-19 has dramatically changed the ways in which we do business and and probably even more dramatically changed the ways nonprofits operate. Um, Have you seen as a result of budget changes or cuts or layoffs in the nonprofit world, have you seen, has it become, has it made your job difficult or different and how so? Well, I think the last year has been difficult for everybody in different ways um, because there was so much change and so much abrupt change. But it also has made us all very grateful, I think, for things that we were taking for granted that we weren't thinking about. Um, I'm grateful that although I really don't love working from home, I'll tell you I'm a people person and I really love those collisions and interactions and talking to someone in the elevator and getting an idea I love that I can walk out of my door and take a walk, you know, in the middle of the day and, and be outside. And, you know, so I'm embracing the things that are good. But in terms of the company, you know, of course, um, you know, our first thoughts were for about our customers and our people. And we did different things very quickly to support both. Um, a lot of things to support employee wellness, health, um, uh working from home, how to manage people better working from home, how to be virtual, all of that. Our HR team did an amazing job and continues to do it. We are not back in our headquarters yet. But for our employee or for our customer base, you know, it was a really interesting year. And, you know, everything kind of fell off a cliff in March last year. And the second quarter was really hard for a lot of people because, you know, they had events that they canceled and they didn't know what to do. And, you know, we saw fundraising drop for a lot of them. By the third quarter, things were getting better because people were figuring things out. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of innovation. Um, so looking at this from a positive perspective, it spurred us to offer a ton of content. We spun up more than 100 new resources. We created new online classes. We opened up our training for free to our customers. We wow. gave as much content as we could to them because all of a sudden, they were trying to use our solutions to do different things than they'd done before. And the reality is a lot of what they were seeking to do, they already were equipped to do through our technology, but they hadn't tapped into it yet because there's always, there's often been this hesitation about, Oh, well, we'll do this in person or we'll do this, that. And, and COVID really pushed us all to do things online in ways that we hadn't done before. And so There was a real, and nonprofits, um, not to be negative, but do tend to be lagging when it comes to technology adoption. So even if they have a tool, they might not be fully using the tool. So there was that. And then we also quickly um, moved to create new functionality that was needed for church clients. And, you know, how could they, functionality that had to do with some of their online services. And we did all sorts of things that were very immediate demand all of a sudden and worked really hard and continue to work hard to support our customers throughout this year because their businesses didn't stop. And well, I shouldn't say that exactly because some, you know, food banks off the charts need incredible mm-hmm. need, but off the charts um, in terms of their fundraising campaigns to support all of that need. And then you had other groups that literally shut their doors because they were performing arts organizations with um, reserved seat. They couldn't have people together. And so, People made different decisions, and we saw varying impacts across different kinds of organizations. But we also saw, again, with like Captain Tom, we saw that generosity was alive and well. Something Mm -hmm. like people from 30 different countries gave to his campaign, and the average gift was very small, like $20 or something. Um, He had 1.3 million donors give to him. Because they were inspired by this man who was try- was thanking NHS charities for the care he'd received the previous year when he injured his hip. Hmm. And, you know, it was, you could argue that nobody had resources, but look at what he did. He raised 40 million pounds for NHS charities, which was wow. amazing. So it depended, 
you know, how people reacted and how organizations reacted varied, but we learned a lot of really good things that I think we will, I know we will continue. We've changed our workforce policy. We have a much more flexible policy that will go into place when we go back into the office, fewer people in the office, more flexibility in and out. We've added to our products. We innovated around how we connect with customers. Um, all sorts of good things can come from a situation that's tough. You're often pushed more during a situation where things are tougher to actually challenge boundaries. And we saw a lot of that. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, that, that all makes a lot of sense. And it, so it sounds like, and it's not surprising to me at all, because BlackBot, I've always seen as a very innovative organization. It sounds like BlackBot as a whole has found a lot of ways to um, identify uh, and support opportunities to continue connecting with nonprofits, though they may be operating differently. You've just got to adapt with them as the times change. So that makes a lot of sense. How has your role specifically changed? You say generosity is alive and well. Is that also, I'd imagine, the case for your 3,300 associates, those who you are uh, encouraging to do good in various ways? Absolutely. Um, It's different. But if we look at, you know, data, 92% of our people volunteer. Hmm. It was a harder year to go out and volunteer. But a lot of people still did things anyway. We have this wonderful story of an employee of ours in Texas who owns a horse who, along with her friends, got on their horses and went and rode around a retirement community and visited the residents through their windows, you know, just to to make people happy. Um, So Was this during COVID? Oh, yeah. 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 This was like in the early period where it was like serious lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, But people found really creative ways to give back. A lot of people were already giving back through skills based, um, actual professional kind of work and continued to do that. Um, And, you know, our employees participate in our matching gift um, program We something like 32 percent of them use the program, which. Um, is actually well above the global average for a company. So people were still giving. They were giving to things that really touched their hearts. They were giving to social justice, to Mm -hmm. all sorts of things happening this year. The challenge that that we had to grapple with, which we were already thinking about, is going more virtual. And the reason we were already thinking about it is that we went into COVID already having, I'm not going to get the number right, but it's at least six or 700 people who were fully remote of our Mm -hmm. employee base. And we were already getting feedback. Hey, you know, how do we get together and serve? And we have lots of programs that allow them choice within their own communities. But we were like, you know, we need to do a better job with things that are virtual. And then, then all of a sudden we had to do a better job. So the United Way day of caring locally here in Charleston, we always do that. We send out about 500 people and this year it was kind of hard. And so we made it a week of caring to allow more time. And we created all sorts of different things people could do. And some of them were from the United Way list of opportunities. Um, Some of them were things we came up with um, for them to do virtually. And some of them were do it on your own you know, go spread happiness, go do things in your neighborhood, or, hey, by the way, use LinkedIn Learning, which we have as a tool to take a diversity and inclusion class on unconscious bias or something like that. We So we gave them different ways, and we have been exploring and testing out partnerships with different groups who help kind of curate virtual experiences, because it is not easy for a nonprofit to just turn on a dime and say, here's your virtual volunteer op that you can give to 50 people or a hundred people. So we're investing in those opportunities this year to see which ones work well and what our people like, um, because we will have coming out of this, a more virtual workforce, although we will also have people who are located in, Mm. in central places like on our building and, um, Daniel Island. So that was a big way. And then another way it changed is, you know, we're constantly, you know, looking at diversity and inclusion. We hired our first um, executive leader over diversity and inclusion, although we already had some existing programs. Michael Moore joined us. He's known as the the inaugural CEO of the International African American Museum. Um, so he joined us and we part of what we're doing is just looking at how we give and engage in communities through 
a DNI lens as one of our lenses. So there are ways we've made investments that think more about social justice or the communities that are being served. Although Blackboard has long given to um, what we used to call kind of education for disadvantaged youth. We, we gave a major, a six-figure gift to the help seed the Low Country Equity Fund at um, the Coastal Community Foundation after the Mother Emanuel tragedy. So we've done a lot of things, but we're getting a little more intentional as well. So I would call, call it an evolution in my role. Um, and a lot of it is, I think all of it is really positive. And I saw that you attended REI, which for those of you who don't know, is um, it's an opportunity for folks. The YWCA here, our local chapter, um, has partnered with folks to make it available to anyone who wants to sign up. And I know increasingly local organizations, local businesses, local companies are sending their employees there. Um, it's a two-day uh, opportunity. And I think there's a follow-up as well if you want to go to REI2, uh, the Racial Equity Institute, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. I went there a couple of years ago and it was incredible. It was very eye-opening. Um, certainly learned a lot. It, it essentially over the course of a couple of days, you know, unearths a lot of the unspoken history and the nuanced history uh, of the United States and certainly the darker history that for some reason or another, either, and oftentimes systemically has been uh, cemented over, um, it was it was a it was an important piece of my own personal development, and I'm really thankful that Low Country Local First uh, gave me the opportunity to go to it. I saw in your bio that you went to it, Rachel. Um, are do other are other Blackbaud employees encouraged to attend REI? Yeah, we've had a number of people do it. I actually first attended um, because I was a board member of the Coastal Community Foundation at the time, and, oh, okay. which is a wonderful place. Blackbaud has a fund there; has had one since the late nineties that we used to give back to the tri-county um, area nonprofits. And so they were one of the early partners who was trying to kind of seed attendance and they offered me a spot and I went to the two day and you're right. It's very much about retelling the history that you were not taught in school and actually looking at was most telling to me was when we looked at the actual policies like the new deal and we saw how, what it actually included and didn't include, it was very eye-opening to say, oh, wow, I never knew that it didn't include African-Americans. Wow, that's a big thing. Um, or whatever, I might not be giving the right mm -hmm. example, but you you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. um, and mortgage redlining and all these things. Mm -hmm. So it is, um, I had a decent amount of knowledge going into the class, but it really kind of cemented it. And then I um, went back um, I went to my boss and said, I'd like to go back to the second one. And, and we did that. And it just further added to my knowledge. And I thought it was really fascinating. I know a number of other people in the company have, have gone. And um, Michael Moore has set up something called our Diversity and Inclusion Council, which I sit on. And that's something, you know, he's been in this role since, I think, the fall of 2020, but he set up a council which represents people across the company. And I think he's working to bring opportunities to some of those council members who want to add to their knowledge. I thought it was a, a, a great session and, and the more um, people could do that or groundwater, which is, I think, a shorter session, but meant to be brought into companies um, is eye-opening, can be very emotional for some mm -hmm. people to, to oh, yeah. think about, you know, this structural Basically, we have a system that has to use very non-inflammatory language in order to lift up one group and it repressed the other group and to accept that and start seeing that in your own life. For a, for a company as large as BlackBot is, it can sometimes be difficult to be nimble and to be responsive to global stressors. Um, and to the social environment in which you operate. But it sounds like over the course, you know, I don't want to uh, pat you on the back too much, but I, but I truly <laughs> feel like, I do truly feel like BlackBot, based on our conversation thus far and what I've read about you all in the news and what I've followed along with um, on social media, et cetera. And because I live where y'all are headquartered, of course, I've chatted with folks who either work for you or with you or near you. Um, you know, it, it's, it's remarkable, I'd say, uh, without being too hyperbolic, but truly how y'all have responded on your toes to a number of flashpoints 
that are certainly indicative of long-standing socioeconomic issues or strife, but but were none, nevertheless uh, demanding of some type of response. And uh, I, I I I find it I find it really you know incredible when a really large organization that can oftentimes be sluggish it's it's the that's the natural I think state for many. Uh, businesses or institutions that are very bureaucratic and have many levels of, of leadership and decision making for good reason often. Um, but when you're able to say, hey, this, you know, there are things happening right now on a on a on a social level that we need to identify and we need to react to, and you do so in a matter of months, certainly that is not the be all end all. You know, you, you haven't you haven't fixed modern racism by um, you know, uh, building that more into what you're doing uh, uh, as a, as an organization, but it, it's important to at least identify that hey, there's an issue, and let's see what we can do about it. And so that's been remarkable. And then to to bring it back to COVID, the fact that you all have worked to adapt to a bizarre set of global circumstances quickly, and have also helped your clientele, who as nonprofits, as you mentioned, are tend to be sluggish as well, especially in, in the way that they bring technology into the fold. Um, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a really cool story to hear what BlackBot has been able to do in just 12 months. And, and a lot of that is because of what you're doing in your leadership role uh, in, in kind of corporate responsibility. I mean, you're the individual who is presumably, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're reaching out to those employees at BlackBot and you're connecting them or encouraging them or identifying opportunities for them to get more engaged. And oftentimes that's in a social way. It may not be an exchange of money, but it's an opportunity to help out or to ride horseback around to different uh, windowsills where there are folks who are stuck in a hospital room because of the pandemic. So is there anything else like that? Well, I mean, it's been a crazy 12 months, right? For BlackBot, what what else has happened in the last year where you never would have imagined this would be something BlackBot would be doing or something that your role would entail? What other kind of crazy stories from the, 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 the ground can you share with us uh, in your role at BlackBot over the course of a global pandemic and, um, an unearthing, a re-unearthing of, of, of American racial uh, injustice. Yeah, so I'm not sure if my response is that there are a lot of crazy stories. Our employee who has a horse just wanted to go out and help. And, and one of the things that we did um, early on is redefined our definition of volunteerism. Well, you know, when you make a gift, it has to be to a charitable organization to get the tax deduction if you're talking about the U.S. only. And so that's an IRS rule. So we can't match a gift to an employee unless it's to a charitable organization because of tax law. But for volunteerism, we can decide what that means. And and typically it's to a charitable organization. And early on, people just wanted to help people. And so Mm -hmm. we said, you know, acts of service to other people do count. Just go out and do something. And if you have to do that on your own and you have to you know, pick up trash in your neighborhood, do whatever it is that you can do, given the constraints that you're in that helps make you feel that you're giving and empower you. So, you know, that was something that we just said, well, let's just do that. And then we decided that we're keeping that um, as a policy and we increased our matching gifts. So people had more money to go out and, and as they give, we, our gifts would follow them. Hmm. But um, I would say, you know, it's, it's always nice to hear nice things about your company. I would say that we very much are on a journey with um, diversity and inclusion. And we, you know, struggle in some of the same ways as other organizations around the social justice issue and understanding and learning, constantly learning more and making sure what we're doing as a practice evolves and I think that's where we are, learning, evolving, doing some things well, do, knowing that we need to do other things and knowing that, that we do not know it all. Um, there are many companies out there with some wonderful practices that we look to as Michael you know, stands up this function and adds to it. But um, the thing that makes me the most proud is honestly how the lack of crazy over the last year um, you know, there's some wonderful, warm-hearted stories. The Tom, Captain Tom story has just warmed mm-hmm. my heart. Um, but we went virtual overnight. You know, I was actually in Ohio. I was in Columbus, Ohio at a meeting of the Giving Institute, and I got an email 
and I think it was the Thursday or Friday of that week. It was the week that Harvard and MIT went online and the NBA canceled its season and everything was falling apart. And it said, we're going virtual, you know, get your stuff, take it home. And I had to go in over the weekend to get my stuff so that the next Monday, my computer, et cetera, I could work from home. And we were up and running on Monday and our customers didn't notice. And that Mm -hmm. is such a point of pride. Mm -hmm. You know, our HR team launched incredibly helpful um, sessions on managing your team virtually. We, we were given a lot of advice about how to connect and stay connected with people. And we just kept working and then we kept evolving and we, you know, everything was evolving in the world and we were evolving in our practice of being in this new setting. And, you know, we have a weekly global management team call every Monday. And it's a practice that's added to our connectedness. We're all quite better informed and better connected. We do town halls. We're doing more different things and using our Microsoft Teams internal solution to stay connected that just make a lot of sense. And I feel like we very much have done all this work as a community and people have worked really hard. That's probably the thing that I worry about the most. And I know our leaders worry about the most that in a setting like this where you don't really have anywhere to go, it's harder to think, well, what would I do if I took a vacation day? Um, we know we're wanting to make sure people take care of their health, take care mm-hmm. of their mental health. You know, I feel like we're all even working harder because we're just in front of our screens all the time. But there's such a discussion. Our CEO saying, you know, yeah, it's I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go take a run. I'm going to. You know, we joke about who's actually wearing shoes on their calls because, you know, we're all in slippers and <laughs> it's brought a level of humanity and people see Neither Rachel nor I have homes. shoes on right now, just so everyone. Knows. I actually am wearing slippers right now. Oh, okay. You, you wouldn't know, but um, <laughs> Steve is not wearing shoes. It's just, it's just but, me. Yep. You know, seeing into people's homes and seeing mm-hmm. that they have pets and they have kids and, you know, one of the most wonderful things we did, and I wouldn't call it crazy, but I think it's wonderful is something that came up out of HR. Um, the, I, in that idea of people helping other people, well, why not help our own people? So in the fall, we ran a three month after school program from four to seven o'clock at night where we recorded sessions or had some that were live and had some that were customers like the South Carolina aquarium, like virtual field trips hmm. for kids of school age for younger kids. And so that that employee who also had kids at home and was homeschooling and had to make dinner, you know, had some downtime. So I did like Needlepoint 101 and why you should have a pen pal. And, you know, we had an executive take introduce everyone to his tropical fish. We had someone teach like lacrosse. I mean, we just we did all sorts of different things, theater camp to help our other our fellow employees. And that to me says something really incredible about remembering that yes, we're here to serve our customers, but we also are here to serve each other. And that happened, you said that happened at the South Carolina aquarium here in town. Yeah. So in addition, this was a program that anybody could tap into. Sure. Blackboard is global, but, um, and one of the key people who was behind it is, is out of an office we have in Texas, but working from home, obviously, but the South Carolina aquarium, I think the children's theater in Minneapolis, um, Mm -hmm. we had, um, other zoos and aquariums involved. And, and one of the ways they innovated during COVID is by offering virtual field trips. So, you know, we would, it was an offering and we could, you know, provide funding to them that was critical to their services. And then they could offer it, you know, at X amount, X time, join in and we're going to take you behind the scenes at the aquarium. And the kids absolutely loved it. So it was a mix of nonprofits doing things that we curated employees doing things for other people, um, for, for, um, fellow employees. It was really great. What about the low country? Cause as you just mentioned, and as we all know, uh, most of us, I'm sure who are listening, understand that Blackbot is a, a national or rather an international company. You have clients, in every corner of the globe. What about the low country? What about this region of South Carolina, um, which as opposed to, you know, a London or a Paris or a Chicago could be considered a little sleepier perhaps. Um, 
But what about Charleston? And, and not necessarily in recent years. I know we've got the Tech Corridor, corridor and the Charleston Tech Center opening up. And there's certainly a lot of activity here in, in, across many industries. But I want to hear from you, Rachel. What about Charleston is so nutritious to BlackBod? Because it's, it's your headquarters, correct? Yeah, Charleston is our home. Um, and it's been our home since 1989. The company was founded in created in 80, incorporated in 81. We're actually uh, just about to celebrate our 40th anniversary. We, oh, wow. Our founder moved us to the low country because the company was originally created in Long Island. And that was just a very expensive place for a small co- company to, to find its way. And, you know, as employees were hired and they wanted to get married and buy houses, they were having to go further away from the office and So Tony, I think, was ahead of the curve on quality of life. And he said, we're going to move at least part of the company initially and then the whole company. And he wanted to keep it on the eastern seaboard because that at that point, that's where a lot of our customers were. And if you think about it, I remember when I was in graduate school, it was like the days of um, fax machines and people being so amazed that we had fax machines. And that's going to sound funny to some of the people listening or maybe even you. Um, when I started at Blackboard, we didn't have a website. We had dial-up email. We called people. You know, we talked to people to get information. Mm-hmm. So he moved the company here and um, found it. And Charleston was a lot smaller then, but you know, it was it had a good quality of life. And Charleston has its challenges, like every other city does. And um, but it's it's a place that people enjoy living, and so. You know, it's been our home since 1989, and and you know, obviously, we have this incredible headquarters that we um, invested in on Daniel Island. Our world headquarters is Lead Gold certified. It's it's developed really to be a incredible, sustainable, beautiful workplace for our people because our people are our biggest assets. So, you know, a patio with Wi-Fi on it, and you know, just being a place that you walk into the building and it makes you feel happy. It makes you yeah, feel like you're there to do good. Um, we've really embraced that, you know, this place is our home for a long time and well into the future. We also have other locations. We have a, a significant location in Austin, Texas. We have an office in Dallas, Plano, Texas, um, the United Kingdom, um, Australia, and and that's important, as is our workforce strategy, which really allows us to hire people from anywhere because, you know, that's important to get the best talent, to get mm-hmm. um, diversity, to get all different, you know, just the best people. Uh, and it, I think pushing, learning how to have site focus, but also a virtual focus is is something we've, you know, really been talking about a lot this year. Do you have people reach out to you uh, as 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 um, prospects to be employed at um, as job candidates who specifically want to work for you because you're headquartered in Charleston? Do they just not realize? Well, you could kind of work from oh, different sure. headquarters, or you could work virtually. Oh, sure. Are there folks who are like, well, part of you know, part of what gives you the edge over this other organi- this other business I'm considering is uh, is you're based in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina, or Daniel Island, South Carolina. Yeah, sure. We have people who um, had their eye on Charleston. You know, as we all know, lots and lots of people are moving to Charleston. Um, it's getting a little more congested than it was when I first came here. But um, absolutely, we have people who want Charleston and then find us. We also have people who find us and then say, okay, it's in Charleston. And we have people who mm-hmm. say, I'd love to work for you, but I want to live where I'm living. Sure. So we have the whole whole array Um, I would say what I thought you were going to ask is, do we have people who find us because of our focus on social good? And that answer is absolutely yes. So who we are as a company, what we do, the products and services we deliver and how they deliver good. um, And in addition to all the things we do is that active participant and the ecosystem of good. That is something that really resonates with um, people looking for jobs. You know, it, Definitely the younger generation. I'm a Gen Xer and I would say I think this kind of migration into thinking about quality of life and also I want to do something good in my career really started right after 9-11. But the younger generations really embrace and 
the idea that they want to work for a company that cares about sustainability, that cares about, you know, what it offers, that has good at its soul. And so, you know, we see a lot of candidates who find a kind of passion match um, with, with us because we're a company that's also a social good company. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have such a large company doing such good work and encouraging such uh, heightened social responsibility um, here in our backyard, because you know, to your point, it's, there are, there are, it sounds like there are folks moving here either for BlackBot or specifically because BlackBot has such a good uh, corporate responsibility agenda or because they love Charleston and then they fall in love with BlackBot afterwards. Um as, as a local economy building nonprofit, we are keenly interested in anything that is enticing folks to, to move here for the right reasons. Anything that is enticing individuals to move here, um, particularly if they're looking to be a positive part of the community, and that can mean a number of different things. And so, as you mentioned, it's becoming more and more congested here. And with the opportunity for growth comes the oper- comes the kind of responsibility of, of growing in a way that is that is diverse and inclusive for all. Um, and, and in a way that creates a sustainable Charleston for decades to come. We all want to enjoy this beautiful metro center for as long as we can. And um, it, it's just it's just a pleasure to know, though BlackBot is not a member of our organization because you all are a publicly traded business um, and and you don't fit the four point criteria. Most of our businesses are 450 different businesses are, you know, mom and pop shops. They're of all different sizes, but all are privately held. So though y'all are not a member, as you know, Rachel, how little of our listeners know, BlackBot has been an incredible boon to so many of our programs and to so much of our content. Um, They've partnered with us on webinars and workshops over the years. They have uh, donated money and time and expertise to our Good Business Summit, which is our annual business conference. And so we are just so proud and, and happy and fortunate to have you, Rachel, and all of your leadership uh, literally in our backyard um, because you really, over the years, have helped bolster a lot of our programming. Well, thank you, Steve. That's really wonderful. And if we could be a member, we would. I, I told your Jamie Haley that many times. Um, but I understand your your criteria. You know, I believe good is for everyone. And part of that, me, why I say that is about small business, big business. Um, you know, we all need to have, we're all a part of that ecosystem and we can all learn from each other. And, you know, we're, I've said journey many times in this call. I'm, we're, you know, on our own journey, we started social responsibility or sustainability reporting a number of years ago. And actually, if you're interested in, in following our news there on April 19th, we're actually issuing our next report. And, you know, it talks about what the company is doing on a lot of different fronts, very similar to some of the questions you've asked today, Steve, and actually includes an ESG metrics and indicators section, which is the first time we've included that. And it doesn't have every ESG metric in it because, you know, we're still having to figure out how to measure some of those things. And some big companies are far ahead of us. Um, It does take some significant resources to do that kind of work. So, you know, we're continuing to evolve, but I believe small businesses can start, you know, at the beginning with a mind towards sustainability and ESG and, and, Again, we can all learn together in the ecosystem. So we're going to wrap things up here in a minute, Rachel, but I, we have talked about journey time and again over the course of this conversation. I feel like it's emerged as a motif. What is the next, not the final, because we hope BlackBot is around for decades and decades to come, um, but what is the next step or the next stop on BlackBot's journey? That's a big question because there are always a lot of things going on within a tech company around innovation. Um, I did just mention our social responsibility report, and I think that's really important. Um, A couple of things that happened this year just recently um, is we actually established an ESG, so Environment Social Governance uh, Steering Committee across the company. I chair that along with our CEO. We added ESG to our four-point growth strategy as a company, right at the heart of our strategy. And we signed the UN Global Compact. So we're a participant in that. And so we made some really significant steps that say, we are serious about this. And 
we're not just issuing a report to say nice things about the company. We're going to be more transparent with more data. And over time, we're going to continue to unfold and unpack that. So although there's a report coming out in April, we're already working toward what else are we doing and which is the report that will come out a year from now, because it's not, it's not just about the report. The report is just a mechanism. It's about the practice. Um, So I think that's exciting. Um, But fundamentally about the company, I would say we continue to look at how we can leverage technology to help our customers and remove what you might call friction and how they're doing things, make their lives easier, um, make it so they're really just focus, having to focus on their missions and not um, how, how they're doing different functions within the organization. So we're constantly innovating um, around products and offerings and the future of those, integrating data into solutions so the solutions are smarter and are telling you what to do um, and be helpful. So it's just kind of, that's just kind of how we're wired all the time. So we're going to keep doing that. And we're going to keep focusing on our people as we do that because our people are our biggest asset. I couldn't, yeah, couldn't agree more. We at Low Country Local First also believe in business as a force for good. We sing it from the rooftops at our Good Business Summit. It is baked into all of our programming, all of our local economy building, building thinking, and our advocacy priorities. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 great to be able to lean on literally decades of experience in the space. And, and we're so lucky to have you as, as neighbors. I like to close all these out, Rachel, with uh, connecting with you on a, on a personal level and just asking you what about the low country you, you like, I mean, you, you've chosen to live here, presumably at this point, you've been with the company for decades. I'm sure they'd, they'd let you live almost wherever you'd want to live, especially given uh, how virtually connected all of the members of your team now are. Why do you stay in the low country? What connects you here? What do you, I'm going to assume you love Charleston, the greater Charleston area. What about this area do you love? And are there a few business recommendations you can give when people are in town from family and friends, where do you tell them to go to grab a drink or grab a meal or grab a book? Oh, geez. Okay. So, um, as you can tell, I love what I do. Um, for me, what I do for a living, who I am as a professional is very intertwined with who I am as a person. And so I find it impossible to separate that question into just Charleston without thinking about my life at Blackwood because it's so fundamental to who I am. So I love working at Blackwood. I love the community of people there. I love the connection that we have into the community. So, and community is what I'm all about. So, so when I think about what I like about Charleston, I think of people, I think of people who are running different nonprofits or different businesses, the, you know, whether they're in government or, or, you know, whatever part they're doing, it's this incredible community of people that I think is getting more diverse, which I like because I think it needs to get more diverse. Um, I love, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and I love that I can see water a lot. Like you can go out and drive and you just see water and the way the light hits the marsh and that we have an incredible amount of natural beauty around us that also comes with some real risk and sustainability risks, but I do appreciate and enjoy that and um, all the time. And you cannot talk about Charleston without talking about food. We could have probably spent this entire time just talking about where to go eat. And yeah, that'll be part two. <laughs> um, because there are so many places. Um, I do love the local places. I, you know, so they come and go sometimes over time, but. Um, you know, if you ask me where I want to go get a pizza, I would, I'd probably tell you a place that was really local versus a place that was more like a chain. So it's really hard to pick. I have a lot of, um, places I love. I, I I will tell you that a friend of mine, um, named Rahil is, um, transferring his, uh, restaurant that is open now at the workshop, uh, to a restaurant spot where Justine's kitchen was called Mom Saab. And their food is amazing. When Rahil and Miriam opened the Mom Saab in the former site of Justine's Kitchen, which I think is happening in April, everybody right. should go. It's yep. Pakistani food. It is absolutely amazing. I feel like I'm in, you know, London getting this food. That the quality is so. I've never um, had the pleasure of being able to go to Pakistan, but you know, eat a lot of this kind of food when I'm overseas and it is fantastic. So I love places like that. I like the food truck scene that's kind of you know, evolving into more local restaurants. Um, and then it's nice that we can go to different places and be on rooftops and have a drink and 
Mm-hmm. So um, I have lots and lots of favorites, but that's the one that is top of mind for me right now. And Rachel, if folks want to reach out to either you or Blackbot, is there is there an email or a number or a way they can get in touch with you via social media, et cetera, if they want to learn more about what you do or more about Blackbot's ecosystem for good? Yeah. So for me, I'm really easy to find on LinkedIn. So that's probably the easiest thing to look, just look up Rachel Hutchison on LinkedIn and link with me and message me there. Um, I typically post things on LinkedIn. If there's anything that I think is interesting, like when we joined the global compact, I shared that. I would say um, if you're looking for a social responsibility report, um, when it comes out, the new one, it's going to be April 19th and it'll be posted on our website. Um, which is www.blackbot.com. And it, within that site, there's a section that's about the company and corporate social responsibility. But if you're following, I'm on Twitter. Um, if you're following any of my social, I'm usually sharing it. Um, so that's what I would suggest. Look out there for new mom sob recipes as well on your Twitter oh my account, goodness. I'd imagine. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's almost... Well, yeah, it's almost lunch. I think we could probably head over there shortly without too much uh, social repercussion. Um, thank you so much, Rachel. Is there anything else we missed? Uh, this was a real pleasure. I want to make sure that you've had an opportunity to share anything else that maybe uh, we should have uh, talked about. No, I mean, I think you you all are doing great work. I, I believe in focusing on local and um, that if each of us just shifted a little bit more of our spend to local, um, it would help the community a lot. Um, I have tried over time to, you know, do that, to have different local providers that I go to. And I think it's really important. I think that's a really important part of community. And we would lose a lot of our kind of distinct culture and personality uh, if we didn't have that. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah, I I appreciate that sentiment. We agree. Um, And if you're a local independent business owner listening to this podcast, you'd like to sign up for membership, get in touch with me at steve at lowcountrylocalfirst.org or log on to our website at lowcountrylocalfirst.org. Love to chat with you and love to find ways for us to all engage in more local B2B and B2C connections and really boost that multiplier effect that we talk so much about. So Thank you for mentioning that, Rachel. And, and Rachel, really, I, it was a pleasure learning more about you personally and professionally, what you do. And uh, always love to hear more about BlackBot, one of our favorite uh, companies based right here in the Low Country. So thanks again for being on. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, folks, there you have it. Podcast number two in the vaults. Thank you to all of our many supporters for making this podcast happen. As a nonprofit, we rely on grants, donations, membership, sponsorship, and more to fuel programs like this podcast. Check out our website at lowcountrylocalfirst.org to find out how you can join the buy local and eat local movements here in the low country of South Carolina. And last but not least, thank you to the shingles for writing and recording the Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve theme song. Be sure to tune in next time for another interview with another local independent business changemaker.